0: Begins with this gate drop Hello everyone, welcome once again to the Power of the Ground Podcast. I am Steve, joined as always by Jesse. How you doing, Jesse? What's up, Steve? Uh, we got an off-week this week. We got a pretty special show lined up. Um, some interesting things that we're going to talk about But before we do that, let's just get to some plugs
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Power to the Ground podcast Check us out on Instagram where we share race highlights And we record this podcast on Instagram Live every Sunday morning Also, visit our website wwwpowerthenumber 2 thegroundcom where you can check out some merch and don't forget to sign up for our email list for giveaways, news, and to get notified every time we upload a new podcast.
0: All right, and we're back. So we got an off week, no races. So that leaves us a lot of room to talk about some pretty interesting things. Um, there was some news this week in the sport, and one, one of those pieces of news is going to get us onto a, a pretty interesting subject and uh, we'll talk a little bit about next week, which is one of our favorite races, Unadilla. So, um, pretty good lineup. Let's get started. So, first of all, the news. Uh, first bit of news: is Cole Seely announces his retirement. What
1: do you make of that? Uh, I'm sad to see him go. Cole Seely has been one of those guys. He, you know, he hasn't had long stretches of dominance. However, he has shown, uh, we'll call them stretches, from time to time, where he's just. Made things interesting for the uh, the people who have been dominant over the, the past probably ten years. Um, he has obviously had some health issues over the past few years, so it it was probably something that everybody saw coming. However, you know, even though it was it was kind of easy to see that this is going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, sad to see him go because he he was a, he's a good player in the game.
0: You know, and that's really when you think of Cole Sealy, the two things that I think about, um, the first is just injuries. This poor guy has had some of the worst and most numerous injuries of any rider that I think I've seen in years. Um, And you feel for the guy because he's a really, really good guy, and he's a hard racer. And that's probably part of the reason that he's got so many injuries. He's not afraid to stick his nose in there. And that's the thing, you know, he's not a guy that you would expect to compete for a championship every year. He's not a guy that you would expect to be in the running or maybe even the top three. I think his best finish was a top five in the standings um, as a 450 rider. So, but he was always fast enough to throw a wrench in there every once in a while. You know, you're thinking, here's these three guys that have just been dominant. They're going to be on the podium every single week. And then next thing you know, you got Cole Sealy stealing a win. Cole Sealy stealing a second place. Cole Sealy come and making a pass in third, knocking, you know, whoever rocks in out of a podium, and suddenly that, you know, messes with the points. So um, great rider, definitely, definitely sad to see him go. But, you know, it was probably time. He's It's just gotten worse for him over the years. Like the past two years for him have been absolutely brutal. And uh, I'd rather see him retire now with most of his health, minus those injuries, than, you know, try to push it too far and have something just it, – have it get even worse.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the injuries are just one of those things. So they just – they – they they compile you know the more you get injured the more prone you are to injury and it's just an unfortunate truth and um, it's also a part of this sport you know you you get on a bike and you start going that fast and you start getting that far off the ground it's just it's part of the game so um, you uh, I agree with you I'm I'm glad to see that he is um, going out with uh, both legs (laughs) and uh but i am sad to see him go because uh it was just nice to see an underdog come in and throw some punches every once in a while yeah
0: and he had factory support for his entire 450 career you know so um other people believed in him and well and i think he did show flashes of being just like a top rider every once in a while so good for him hopefully he sticks around the sport and you know uh can kind of help maybe some younger riders and you know, impart some of his wisdom onto these guys coming up. You know, maybe he sticks with the Honda team. Obviously he never changed teams. So that's, uh, you know, they obviously have a lot of respect for him. So maybe he, he can do something with them. So best of luck to Cole.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Cole, best um, of luck to you, bud. So the
0: other headline is just something that you and I both found interesting. We didn't get to talk about it last week, even though it happened last week. Cause uh, I didn't watch the 125 uh little all-star race. Oh, uh, I don't know if you did at the time. I I didn't go back and watch it until later. Um Villapoda <laughs> He <laughs> this guy is just I can't even believe he gets on. I mean, it was dominant how far ahead of dominant, everybody he yeah. was.
1: And I've I have now I've now been cracking out on this for like the past week. I've th- I think I've watched that race from every different angle that anybody has shot it on any cell phone um this guy has he's still got it he's still got it he was just it's an all-star race so there's a lot of there's a lot of people with a lot of really good experience in this race granted they're all on 125 some of them are older but this guy was just absolutely blowing away the competition
0: and you know so he's 30 years old so it's not like he's you know he's that far up there in age i know that's a little bit older for this sport but it's not you know he's not in his 40s he's i i still hold Villapoto could come back now after all these years off and dominate in the 450s again I, agree. I have no doubt that he could just come back jump on it obviously it would take you know a good a good year's worth of training to get back into race shape but i have absolutely no doubt this guy can come back in and just win another four championships in a row he's just he was th- he's that good
1: yeah he really is i i've I would love to just have just you know a, a daydream of Villapoto coming back and just kicking Tomac's ass <laughs> once or twice.
0: That would be a race, man. That the way be. Tomac's riding right now, and the way that we know Villapoto can ride, and you know, obviously he's up there a little bit. I think in his prime, he just, there's there's no comp, there's no competition. there, Villapoto wins, I think maybe now that'd be a hell of a race. It'd probably be those two a minute and a half in front of the rest of the field for every race, you <laughs> know. And it's yeah. just going back and forth and. Yeah, that would be pretty exciting and you know, so uh, Ryan Villapoto, if you happen to listen or if somebody happens to, you know, tag you or something, uh, please come back.
1: Please come <laughs> back. <laughs> please come back. come back. We need you. The sport needs you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that was Villapoto. Yeah, hopefully we see a little bit more of him coming back too. Like obviously he still loves the ride. He still has has a passion for it, so um seeing him come back would be would be pretty awesome. So and then the the last bit of news is which is actually gonna lead us into our next segment. Um, so unfortunately is the uh, the Christian Craig uh, news the suspension uh, decision that came down. So, we'll talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah the uh, the Christian Craig suspension is so if you're not familiar with it, um he got caught um, using I forget what it's called but they were calling it some sort of a um uh, a PED and uh, I think it had something to do with asthma and he was using it to help him breathe. Now um. On the 250s, which Christian Craig rides, they don't get tested for PEDs. They, um, but he jumped up to 450s, and then he popped on a test for whatever it was that he was taking. Now, I have two thoughts on this. One is you messed up. Christian Craig, you messed up. Absolutely. You, there, there needs to be a punishment for messing up because that's why you have rules. You have rules so that when a behavior happens that you don't want to happen the punishment gets dealt out and that helps other people understand that if i do this then this will happen so that part i get i agree with what happened to him on that on on those grounds punishment needs to be uh, needs to be dealt out however they waited so long on this punishment it, that it was an absolute it was it was absurd how long they waited it was completely unprofessional it because of how long they waited it it's so clear how little respect the fim and the ama has for these riders they don't they don't care they don't take this seriously they they just they're just doing this because it it gives them it, it puts a little bit of money in their pocket. And if they have to do anything above and beyond just taking the cash from somebody else and put it in their pocket, they don't even want to hear about it. Right. They're like, we have to get together and figure out a punishment for somebody. Why, why, but that's work. We don't want to do work. Right. Why why would we want to do work when we could just get paid for free?
0: So, um, you know, just looking it up, the, the drug was heptaminol. A uh, drug he said he had never heard of until he, he found out that he had failed that drug test. Um, and even the FIM agreed that they didn't believe he intentionally ingested this substance. So, I mean, even if the if the governing body who is dishing out the suspension agrees that, you know, you didn't do it on purpose. Right. And I mean...
1: I, I mean, but look at... they They didn't even deal out the punishment for... It was like 18 months after after he actually popped on the test.
0: Yeah, it was it was a while. So yeah, but the suspension is backdated.
1: The suspension is backdated. That's absolutely fine, but let, let's let's put this in in terms that people can understand. Can you imagine? All right. For those of you watching, we're here in in Rhode Island, which is in New England. So Patriots fans here, okay? <laughs> if Tom Brady popped on a test, for PEDs and the NFL continued to... And the NFL suspended him and didn't even deal out what the punishment was for for popping on, for uh, the PEDs for a year and a half, how much outrage there would be everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. everywhere. That's, it's, it's completely unprofessional. It's like, it's like getting a... a a, a speeding ticket, an absurd speeding ticket, and then getting your license suspended, and then and then not even having a court date for a year and a half after that. It's just absurd. So ten and a half months. That's long, and that's long time. And
0: they want proof of and they wanted proof of source of the of the drug. And you know, Christian Craig's actual response was: "I uh, ten and a half months. I don't. I don't know what the source says. It's ten and what? a half months later. Um, it's it's absolutely ridiculous, and it's it's negligent on the part of the FIM. It's yeah.
1: absolutely negligent. And it's just this is just another this is just another needle in the haystack of how poorly these organizations." Are running these leagues both motocross and supercross they're failing them they're failing the sport they're failing the fans they're failing the riders um, and they quite frankly it's clear that they don't take the sport seriously I don't know I don't know what the reasoning is bef- behind that um, I could speculate um, <laughs> NASCAR I could speculate as to why they don't take it seriously but um, it's clear that they don't.
0: And you know, so that and, and to wrap up the Christian Craig part of it, and that's actually gonna lead us into our our next segment here after the news. But um Christian Craig is appealing the decision um in the Court of Arbitration for sport. So hopefully he gets that either knocked down or maybe even wiped out because of how poorly it was handled. Um so, you know, we'll we'll definitely be talking about that in future podcasts as we get more news about that. And um if they don't at least knock the suspension down or, or do something you know to, that he for him to win the appeal I think that's an absolute travesty um, because of how this whole thing was handled so and and you know sp- so speaking of the sport we're moving on but one thing we wanted to talk about in the off week is you know we obviously love this sport um, there are a lot of very very passionate fans that you know are are just all in on motocross supercross everything that has to do with dirt bikes and it feels like the riders the fans And, and anybody else who has any connection to this sport are being completely failed by the organizing bodies for not doing everything in their power to grow the sport and not only failing to grow the sport, but potentially hindering the sport and how they run their organization.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing and they're not doing anything about it to make it better. Um, And It's unfortunate because first and foremost, you and I are both fans and we want to see the sport grow. Um, But um, there's so many different aspects to this that uh, could be very, very easily changed by these organizations and they simply don't. They don't change them.
0: So one thing that you you and I have talked about before and I think is probably really what needs to start this whole you know we'll call it you say a revolution in in the sport that that kind of changes the entire structure of it it's probably going to be on the riders um, to organize and you know we talked like a riders union you know to the NFL has the players union all these other major sports have a players union to ensure the well-being of the players who are making the money for these organizations in these leagues if the riders unionized um, they would get I mean, think about it. We've ta- how many times do we get a podium finish from Eli Tomac or Ken Roxon or any of these other guys and we go to see the interview and we wanna hear what they have to say, we wanna hear their, you know, their their post race interview like every sport does and then you get five seconds of yeah it was a good race you know we fought really hard but kind of pulled away at the end or you know i felt myself kind of die at the end but i dug deep five seconds of that and then another 30 seconds of i want to thank a ba- list of a bajillion sponsors because right. if they don't thank those sponsors they don't get paid right and that is absolutely ridiculous we know who your sponsors are dude you're on the monster energy kawasaki team we don't need you to hold up a monster and thank monster and Kawasaki, we know who you're riding for. We want to hear you talk about the race and the sport, but they have to do that because of the way the sport is organized right,
1: right now. So this whole this whole conversation that we're, ha- that we're having right now was spurred over a, a single question that I posed to Steve as I was listening to a, another um, motocross podcast. And that question was, is the closed-lipped competitive nature of motocross and supercross actually hurting the sport? Um, and Steve was like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and uh, basically what I was alluding to was um, All of these riders Are in competition with one another So it is not in their best interest to open their mouth and talk about what they're doing in the off season, or talk about what they're doing between races or anything like that now That is good for competition because then they all have to go off of hearsay and, and everything to develop their own program so that they can compete with one another. However, from a fan standpoint, that is a bad thing. Now, when you have all of these other major sports like the NFL, NHL, MLB, NBA, ABC,
0: and we're mentioning all these Y-Z. sports because uh, honestly, they're you know they're juggernauts they're in juggernauts. what they do, and that's what we want to see right. motocross and supercross be—is this you know national cultural mainstream sport that we can consume on a regular
1: basis, right? And we talk about them for a reason because obviously they're doing it right. Maybe now, not baseball. Oh yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but I mean, if you think about it. Football, the NFL, like you start talking about ESPN and even the NFL Network, the NFL does not stop in the off season. You don't, you barely hear about motocross and supercross in the off season. It just, it, it stops. All talk stops, and part of that is because these players, the way that these organizations are set up, part of their job is talking to the media. Part of their job is actually getting in front of cameras all year long and giving press conferences, talking about what's going on with their teams. Um, you know, there there are some that are more closed-lipped than others, but they still are obligated to st- at least stand in front of a camera and. Partially answer those questions. I have one person off the top of my head that I'm thinking about, but um, that is a big difference between how those sports do it and how this sport does it. And I think that is a huge, huge difference because the more that these riders talk, the more storylines are created. The more interest there is generated with the fans, the more the fans can then interact with the riders, which is what happens in all the other sports. You know,
0: rivalries and feuds, and you know, uh, uh, any of the thing. I mean, and I,
1: there used to be a little bit of that, you know. Um,
0: you know, these riders saying something that pisses off another rider. So, like, watch these two when they come together, or oh man, these two came together last week. But instead of you know having them fuel that fire throughout the week, we don't we don't get anything. Um, so I think that's, you know, the media, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your view, is an absolutely massive part of any sports growth and how you interact with it. People want to consume. You know, I, we talk all the time, like I, every day at 2 p.m., I put on our our local, if I'm in my car, I put on our local sports broadcast, and we are in the middle of what is, in my opinion, the worst major sports time of the year, because we're in the middle of a baseball season, that doesn't matter. Uh, football's barely starting minicamp, so, I mean, we are about to get preseason games. Uh, hockey's over. Basketball is over. They're all in the offseason. It feels like, man, there's nothing to talk about. Yet, every single day at 2 p.m., I turn on the radio, and they're talking about the Patriots and the Bruins and the Celtics and the Red Sox, because there are storylines. Who are they going to sign? Who are they going to trade? This person said this. Is that going to be some kind of beef? It just, there's constantly storylines being generated on a daily basis. One, because that's their job, but because those sports feed into that, they give them that. Right. And we don't get that.
1: No, we don't get it at all. And it's, it's become such a big part of those sports that the industry of media coverage has almost become bigger than the sports themselves. Like if you were to combine the listenership and the viewership of all of these sports that, are are consuming these uh, of all of these uh, television shows and radio shows that are consuming these sports and then just making a living talking off of them. The viewerships and listenerships would probably be so much larger than the viewership and listenership of the actual, of the actual events of the actual games. It's it's crazy. It's it's become an industry into itself. And some people I do know these people exist. They don't even watch these sports. They rely. They, they're like why would I spend time watching the sports when I could listen to them on the radio to you know the the, the coverage of them to perfect and from?
0: perfect example I grew up a, a Red Sox fan which is the way I was raised I haven't watched a full Red Sox game outside of the World Series in like 10 years because I don't need to. Because if I want to know what happened with the Red Sox, I can go to ESPN, I can watch Sports Center. I can listen to the radio, and they give me the recap. I don't have to sit through a three and a half hour game of one run being scored and just, uh, you know, like, I think baseball's a boring sport in general, but the point being, it's you're right, the media is so big that you don't have to even watch a sport. Now, I'm not saying that that's where we want, you know, we don't want to make it so that you don't watch motocrossers, bootcross, but I think the point is getting the media on your side and getting the fans to interact through that media is one of the fastest ways to grow the sport.
1: So how do we make the changes to move towards that?
0: Uh, Well, we get a change. There's a few things that have to change. So first, how riders get paid, and and I kind of alluded to that with – with the unions how they unionize um right now the sponsors control everything right and look we need the sponsors right that's that's the that's the revenue stream that's the main revenue stream but because the sponsors control everything like i said we're not getting interviews and good in depth personal media interaction we're getting hey thanks monster hey thanks fox hey thanks kawasaki as opposed to any meaningful interview so if we kind of leveled the playing field there and kind of, you know, changed up how sponsors interacted with the riders and the fans. Um, I think that that's probably going to go a long way to creating more um, juicy and like, you know, consumable press conferences and interviews.
1: Right. And I think that's a really good place to start. Yeah, that, absolutely. Because, I mean, when you change the hands that are feeding the riders, then, especially if you kind of centralize them, um, then you can start making standards for the riders. Like, you must spend this much time in front of the camera and they're not just gonna sit there Like Ricky Bobby going. I'm not sure what to do with my hands <laughs> Um, they're gonna they're gonna talk about stuff Uh, there's a lot of these writers. Th- the first one off the top of my head If you put austin Forkner in front of a camera with a microphone in front of him for longer than 60 seconds You're gonna get his life story that's, and that's great. He's, um, and there's, he's not the only one that's like do that.
0: Do you remember... Okay, so, you know, quick little... Part, do you remember Marvin when he was in the 250s? Yes. They were my favorite the interviews
1: best. ever. You know, he's best. grown
0: up a little bit. He's matured a little bit. But when he was in the 250s, like, he was fun. He was joking. Uh, he, he made you laugh, but he also gave you some stuff. And then he would flirt with the interviewer for a little bit. And it was just like, this is hilarious. This is amazing. And that's one of the reasons that Marvin is one of my favorite writers is because of how entertaining he was outside of the races. So... We need more of that. We need more entertainment. At the end of the day, it's entertainment value outside of the races. We know everybody likes the races. We need to be entertained in between the races. We need to be entertained in between racing seasons. And if people are continuing to be entertained that way, then they will consume. They will spend more money. If they spend more money, the sponsors are happy. If the sponsors are happy, the sport's happy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's really going to come down from the organization. The organization has to set those standards for the riders to follow because if they but we're, don't
0: we're also talking about a major structural change here and how these things are are, are done because yeah. I, I mean right now we look at the standings and there are a few riders that at the beginning of the season you thought even had a chance. But there are twenty riders, twenty plus riders in every single race. Right. Why are we only talking about three or four of them?
1: And if you're talking about the four fifties, we're not even talking, talking about, about those anymore. We're, no? just, we're just there's one rider that we're talking about. And and the only time we're talking about the other two or three is will these two or three ever be able to compete with the one.
0: <laughs> and, and I think, I mean, so obviously that's bad, right? You want parody, you want, um, you know, drama, particularly at the end of a season. Right. Right. Because the, the problem right now, and, and we're not going to get into the scoring and the point structure. We're going to, we're going to save that for another, for another week, but right. it is something to bring up that halfway through a season, if it's over, Why, why are people watching other than diehards who just like to watch the races? Like I'll watch just because I like watching guys on bikes, but you want to capture grow a sport. You get to capture casual fans. Yeah. So the media thing is one way to capture casual fans, but to have an exciting product through the entire season is another way. Like it none of these other major sports suffer from that because even if it looks like one team is dominant throughout the regular season, well, they have playoffs and anything can happen in the playoffs. Exactly. You don't have something like that in motocross. So when Eli gets a 50 point lead, with four races left, you say it's over, it's over. i mean, barring some kind of crazy crash, which of course is happening. But at that point, you're watching the race to see a crash, not to watch a race. So it becomes this, you know, why are you watching halfway through the season? So, that you know, there's another there's a lot of issues that the sport kind of suffers from and, and organizational change could start that. These factory rides and the fact that there are professional riders in the bottom ten, fifteen of these of these races that don't get factory rides. So they might be more talented or as talented, but they'll never compete because they're riding a bike that just doesn't keep up with the factory bikes.
1: Yeah. And I that, that has a, a big part um a structural change could help that quite a bit um but before we get to that you want to take a quick break and we can do our our uh, break and then come back and talk the rest about that and, and well we're gonna
0: we so say yeah so we're gonna wrap up growing the sport i mean there's there's we could dig into this we could talk for hours about this so we're gonna wrap it up there we're gonna talk about you know we just hit the major structural changes and stuff and when and we get a whole off season to talk about how we can change the sport so let's save some of that we are gonna take a break when we come back we're gonna talk about next week unadilla and, uh, you know, we have some, some interesting stories to tell about that one oh, near and
1: dear to our hearts. I can't wait to tell some of these
0: stories. Don't you dare. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take, take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. So um, the next topic we're getting into is, uh, like I said, one is very near and dear to our hearts. Unadella's is next week. And, uh, unfortunately, once again, you and I will not be there. But this is a race that you and I have gone to several times Um, Mostly in our childhood and growing up And this is really, for me personally Unadilla is the race that gave me my love for this sport And we've got some really cool cool memories and stories to tell about Unadilla
1: Yeah, some some of my nearest and dearest memories uh, growing up came from Unadilla Um, How many, you came with me and my family four years in a row? Four years in a row, yeah Four years in a row, so um we saw some fantastic stuff. We saw James Stewart come up from 125.
0: So that's a – I'm going to come back to that one because that's one of my favorites. Oh, but.
1: man. We saw some uh, – if any of you have ever been to uh, to Unadilla and you've been up on the side of uh, – is it Gravity Cavity? No, they didn't call that Gravity Cavity. But if you've ever no. been to Unadilla, you probably have heard of Team Tits. And uh, Steve and I had <laughs> –
0: 14 15 year old teenage boys <laughs> yeah we had we had
1: some good times at unil that
0: kind of went away towards the end there too they kind of commercialized it a little bit but you know it's a little bit understandable again we were talking about growing the sport so yeah gotta, absolutely um, but it, I mean it was a, it was a whole weekend because you know and then back then it was when the races were on Sundays so you'd have all your qualifyings and and you know your practices kind of throughout the Saturday and then um, your actual live motos one through four basically on sunday so we would make it a whole trip and we'd drive up there friday we'd start camping out we'd have our you know fun camping session we'd wake up balls early on saturday to go walk the track and um you know find a spot where we wanted to watch and then qualifying and practices and and all that stuff and you know really that was our chance that saturday to kind of you know look at all the booths and all the other sponsorships and just ogle because we were again you know 14 15 year old teenage boys and we were just i was just for me i was amazed at the sheer like. I didn't know before I went with you guys that this sport was so popular and had so many rabid fans. For me, it was something I just, I had kind of grew up watching, uh, you know, Jeremy McGrath on, on TV is like, as almost background noise, like I'd kind of pay attention and like, there's Jeremy McGrath winning supercross races, but it wasn't something that I really fell in love with until I saw just like this community of people coming together at Unadilla. And, um, it was it, it was really something else it completely changed my perspective of the of the sport
1: yeah and it, it going to a live race is it's a completely different experience and it has a lot to do with the community aspect of it um a lot of these people who are fans of the sport um, it's generational it's it's a it's a family affair it's not it's not like uh, um what else I can't even think of anything that it would it, that it's really like it's not like going to a football game um, Where you're you might be sitting next to somebody and you, you may high-five them or something in the stands It's not like that like you are You find a spot to sit around the track and you are part you are having an experience with everybody who is around you You're all interacting you make new friends um,
0: You're basically family with everybody's that, that that's there and yeah. that was the thing I I could have walked up to anybody standing anywhere along the side of that track and started a conversation with them like we had known each other for years because we all had this one kind of passion in common you right know? Um, the track itself is so much fun to watch
1: like it, really- it is it, it,
0: it's a it's a
1: great track. Yeah, um, I mentioned it earlier gravity cavity, you know, there there's not there's nothing else like it on on the circuit like gravity cavity. I mean, you go down, you do a 90 and you come back up. Um, and the and the track itself, the track itself has made for some really, really awesome competitive racing. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we're gonna get to one, the one in particular that Steve and I saw live, that was just absolutely unbelievable. It was between two very, very well-known riders. Um, do you want to start? You want to get into so, it?
0: All right. I think this was it. My first. I might have been my second. I think it was my second year um, at Unadilla.
1: It was definitely and not your first year.
0: No, because I, I, uh, Bubba wasn't. Um,
1: he wasn't. He wasn't his
0: main. Like he he hadn't gathered kind of the, the the press. I remember going into this weekend. All I heard about was this kid on the one twenty fives. Because back then it was you know it was still we might be aging ourselves here, but it was still one twenty fives and two fifties instead of two fifty four fifty. Um, all you heard about was this kid. Right? Just, just James Bubba Stewart and how freaking fast he was. That's all I heard about is how he was dominating and that nobody could wait for him to get up to the to the higher class to the 250 to start competing with Ricky Carmichael, who right. was still at the top of his game. He was still it was a little bit past his prime by that point, but well, not by much. Um he was a couple of years away from retirement at that point. Okay. Um I remember because I was I was looking this up the other day just to see, like, you know, kind of remember my time frames. And there's just everything. Everyone's just James Stewart, James Stewart, James Stewart, James Stewart. So it was almost more exciting for us to see the mixed practices than it was to watch the races that year. Right. Because the races were dominated by those two guys. Right. Ricky ran away with it, both motos. James ran away with his, both motos. So the most exciting part was to see them on the track together. And, man, was that exciting. <laughs> like yeah. James... Dude, I I had never seen a, I have never in person seen somebody ride so fast and so much on the edge as I what I saw James Stewart do that weekend, and he got a fan for life. And to, to this day, he will be, always be my all time favorite rider because of that weekend.
1: Yeah, James is so crazy to watch because he would just go through these turns, and like it's normal for people to to dip into turns because they're going fast. But this guy would be dragging his handlebars in the dirt because he's laying it over so far because he's going so fast. It was absolutely unbelievable. The, the race that I'm thinking about in particular, I don't. It was. No, it was. It was the first year James came up to 250s. I think it was our last year at Unadilla. Um, James came up to the 250s and. I was pretty hyped too because that yeah, was, was just going to be the
0: first time we got to see them race in the same class
1: exactly and and we got more than than we ever hoped for at Unadilla it was it was absolutely crazy these guys were they were going back and forth they were at least 30 40 seconds it was like
0: 45 i think like by halfway through the motor. it was uh, ridiculous
1: past everybody else um so it was just these two guys and then there was everybody else and um What ended up happening is it was actually over by Team Tits. (laughs) Um,
0: It was right in front of us. It was
1: right in front of us. It happened right in front of us. It was um, James got out in front of Ricky Carmichael, and then Ricky was coming back. He was about to make a move, and I think he did make the move. I think he got in front of him, Mm -hmm. and then he crashed and broke his arm. Yeah. So that Ricky Carmichael is regarded as the goat so he is you know he's but pretty much everybody can considers him the greatest rider of all time and james stewart was so fast riding that track that even ricky carmichael the greatest rider of all time was riding beyond his capability to and, keep up and threw it away to to, to keep up to try him. to keep up it was
0: unbelievable how fast he was and the, so the race i was talking about um was again before he came up and that i remember that too that was that was such it was so exciting until ricky went down and like oh because was, then james ran away with it you know it like a minute far, and a half
1: it was far into the race too there wasn't much left i want to say there was only like five minutes left and you knew it was going to just two. get better and better and better yeah, until he was, went down
0: oh um and I remember so when when James was still on the one twenty five, this is the one that just always sticks out to me. Um, there was a particular moment in the mixed practices where um, I remember we were sitting there watching, we were trying to find both. Where's Ricky? All right, where's James? When are they coming together? I forgot are, about this. When when are they coming together? When are they coming together? Um and, and, and yeah, so James down. and so James actually was on the 125. Yeah. So we knew that he had a little bit of a disadvantage, and they finally started meeting on the track, and you saw them both starting to speed up, and then Ricky would speed up and then James would speed up and then like you know that the two of these guys knew the fans wanted to see them going right. at it because James wasn't in that class yet. And and James kept not only did he keep up, but he kept passing them. And eventually, I think Ricky kind of backed off a little bit, and James said, no way. And he stopped on the side of the track and slowed up and rolled over a couple of jumps until Ricky caught up. Once Ricky passed him, he freaking gunned it again. And for the whole rest of the practice, the two of them were going at it. It was one of the most exciting things I've ever seen, even before. Uh, bubble went up into the next class like this was the first taste you got of the future of the sport at the time and the dominant rider the greatest rider of all time it's like can this kid keep up with him and not only could he keep up with him he gave him a run for his money on a lower class bike and it was just and the fact that he stopped and waited for him like James is a showman and he yes. knows what the fans want and he I just you just knew the fans started go. everybody went nuts when he laid like wait he's waiting for him and they started <laughs> and this is practice that literally not, counts for nothing these guys should not be pushing it they pushed each other a little bit in that practice and it just always stuck with me because that's that personality that um, you know, kind of larger than life, like enthusiasm and just excitement that he brought even to practice is why James, who will always be my favorite rider.
1: Yeah. And because we, of
0: that in-person experience I got at Unadilla.
1: And we need more. We do. We need more of that showmanship in this sport. Um, and we thought we were going to start getting it when uh, Roxon started changing around a couple of years ago, but it just, it didn't pan out. He got hurt. And then he I think that back. just ruined yeah. his psyche. I really yep. do.
0: Um, and, you know, I think Eli is just too all business. Which is great, yeah. great for him. Like that's, you if that's need some yeah, of those you have people. to have I mean, some got, of that too. You got
1: Tim Duncan, you've got Tom Brady. You know th- these people in other sports. They're they're all business,
0: and that's great. And you do need some of that. But no, you're right. Like Marvin kind of toned down his goofy antics. You know, once he kind of came up to the four fifties, especially now that he's supposed to be the rider, even though he might not be the rider in his team anymore. Um, so Marvin kind of toned it down a little bit. Um, You know, Barsha seemed like he could have been kind of that guy, but he just didn't have enough of a a consistent run. He got hurt too many times at the top to really kind of be that personality. So you're right. Like we need another like James Stewart type personality, not just because of his speed, because for me, he's the fastest rider ever get on the track. Uh, I've seen it. I've watched it. (laughs) Um, We need somebody else to capture fans the way that his personality captured fans.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's 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 in any sport there's always personalities that that just it, it it comes off of the track and it doesn't even really matter what they do on the track no there's like who else Ocho Cinco. Who? Yeah. Who even remember? I mean, he was a good re- wide receiver, but who even remembers his career as a wide receiver?
0: No, you remember his antics. You Terrell Owens antics? too. Although Terrell Owens was was pretty dominant for a while, you kind of remember some of his big plays. But it was more about his personality, was, right?
1: And that's that's.
0: But you need somebody that kind of brings both. Randy Moss brings both to the table. Randy right. Moss is, might be one of the greatest receivers of all time. Yeah. At least, he, he, and his personality was just so polarizing right it wasn't it wasn't as 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 like endearing as james stewart was but it was definitely polarizing
1: right. even if you had somebody like barsha who decided to you know what i'm gonna show up at these press conferences and i'm gonna i'm just gonna give them hell um even if it was somebody like barsha who's you know he he may be over the hill i'm not really sure uh he shows flashes every once in a while you know he i think he took i think he's fourth I think no, no, he dropped way back. Anderson pulled up to fourth in the overalls in the uh, standings for the year.
0: So actually, that's a good point.
1: Let's talk a little bit about
0: next week's Unadilla. Like I said, we will not be at that one. Although, let's go ahead and make let's make that so Southwick and Unadilla. So you know, just based on our location where we are, Southwick and Unadilla are. Uh, two of the closest races. So um I want to make it a point to definitely get back to those live races. Maybe that's something we can do on the Instagram live or even do like a a uh, uh, live recorded podcast from the races next year. You know, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, that would be fun. Um,
1: especially from Unadilla. That would be awesome. Just set up absolutely. like next to the track. Yeah.
0: Jason Anderson's fifth. Cooper Webb is fourth. Okay. Barca dropped down to seventh. But, but he still, was up there Anderson, for a while.
1: Anderson at fifth? Where the hell did that
0: come from? Yeah, he was doing absolutely nothing. So next week Unadilla my favorite race of the year up there with Washougal, so it's really a good back-to-back. Um, so let's talk about some predictions. What do you think is going to be uh, be going down next week with our our current riders? Because unfortunately, I can't pick James Stewart to win both of these races. <laughs> so um, what we got? What do you got for your two fifties for next week?
1: For my two fifty predictions, um, I am going to pick Fernandez or Ferrandis at not Fernandez, at number one. Uh, I am going to pick Cooper for number two overall. And I'm going to pick Cianci Rulo for number three. And I think that this championship is going to go down to the wire.
0: So for once... Well, I actually completely agree with you. So I, I tried to scribble down mine so you didn't think I was stealing yours. Uh, I actually have the exact same thing. I think Ferrandis probably takes a 1-1, one, one, if not a 1-2 or whatever, 2-1. Right. If anything, it would be a 2-1. I think he finishes stronger. So maybe Cooper takes the 1. They go 1-2, one, 2-1, two, two, one, uh, which would give Ferrandez the overall. Uh, I think Cooper... Sneaks up in there to a number two, which is going to make things really interesting if he can. I think Ciancerulo is starting to ride on the edge a little bit. I yeah. think we started to see it. He started to push a little bit too hard, and Ferrandez kept holding him off. I'm I'm wondering if that's going to get into his head. Drops him down to maybe a third overall. That's, what, five, six points that Ferrandez is going to gain in the point championship? This could absolutely—if Ferrandez just... stays on this roll, this could go down to the wire.
1: Yeah. Uh, I also think there's going to be some team orders involved here. Um, as far as Cooper goes, it has because to be, right? obviously the further back Cianci Rullo goes, the more of, a, a, a points Ferrandis can make up in the championship. Um, I think there's probably going to be a lot of conversations had with Cooper this week saying you keep him behind you. Yeah. You keep Cianci Rulo behind you. Um. Because I I think that's really this the the team dynamics and, and stuff like this, this is when, this is when the sport, um, can be at its best when the team dynamics actually start coming into play. If
0: ferrandis gets out in the lead and Sianzorulo is behind Cooper, and that's what happens, that is going to be one of the most interesting races we've seen all year because Sianzorulo yeah. is going to not only going to have to pass Cooper, who is going to be on team orders, do not let him. Pass. They might get a little aggressive. It might get a little bit chippy. And then if he does get by, now he's gonna go past Ferrandis, who you know is not gonna let him pass. It's gonna be so exciting if these guys if all three of these guys can get out front. I also wouldn't be upset if Ferrandis and Cooper got out front and Ciancerulu had to work his way back up. Yep. and finish third, just because again, it's gonna make for some really, really interesting races as the season wraps up.
1: Yep, I do I expect to see the uh, the boards, the pit boards a couple of times to say this week, keep ninety two behind you for Cooper. So it'll be interesting to see.
0: Speaking of speaking of
1: Cooper um,
0: let's go up to our 450 predictions I'm again I'm writing mine down now so that you know you don't think I'm stealing them in case kay. we end
1: up uh,
0: with the same one so what do you got sure. for your 450 covering
1: my eyes here all right we're at Unadilla so uh, it's a little bit of a different track from last week not nearly as fast um, it's a
0: Weirdly enough, though, a lot of European riders tend to do really well at Unadilla. It's one of those races where, like, no, like, it's it's a Europe, it's a it's a European, European track, model. right? Like, it's it's one of those just one of those races. So you know, keep that in mind. That's one of those things where That's, some of those some of those foreign guys, you know, do a really good job on tracks like this.
1: So uh, if I look at the overall, uh, I can't say that uh, Tomac's going to take number one. I'm sorry, I don't know if he's going to go one one. I don't know if he's going to go two one. Um, but I think Eli is going to take number one overall. Um I think Roxon is going to take number 2. And I think Moosecan takes a number 3. Um Moosecan's probably narrowly going to take a number 3 from Anderson cuz I think Anderson's starting to pick up speed now. Um Webb might throw a wrench in, in there in uh, Moto 1. Which is probably why I think uh, Mooskins Mooskins probably going to come in like fifth in the first moto. That's my assumption. He's going to come in like fifth the first moto, and he's going to come in third in the second moto. And
0: because of some weird point stuff, it's going to work out to a podium form.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's just how it's going to work out. Um, I have very, very. I have very little confidence in Mooskin. Showing any I showing think, anything. I think
0: Marvin has a little confidence in himself right now, yeah, which is probably true. the problem. But this could be a track that helps him kind of get back into a little bit of that confidence because he is that European rider. So and that's it fits his style. He's such a technical rider that he's he's so good with he doesn't care about opening the throttle around turns like some of these guys. He's more about technique and what's the best line. So a track like this might be good for him. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty similar, you know. I at this point. <clears throat> If you're not picking Tomac to win, you're d- yeah. you're dumb.
1: <laughs> he's going to get a bad start. He's going to start off in 17th, and he's going to win the race.
0: And then in another – and that will happen in one of the motos. The other moto, he'll just get the whole shot and take it. Like yeah. it's just – it's it's one or the other, if not both, in a weekend for him. Right. And it's just, so Tomac's number one. I don't think Roxon takes two. I think Cooper Webb takes number two. Um, so that's the big difference for us is I think that – uh Cooper's starting to show in flashes a little bit. Like he's starting to come around and I think he really wants to gear up and kind of get into some really good self-confidence and momentum, some get into a groove here towards the end of the season. So I think he jumps up to number two in the overall. Uh, I agree Marvin takes third, but not you know, not because of some, you know, mediocre riding. I think he takes third because he rides solid, because it's a track that fits his style. Um Roxanne probably podium's one of the modi- the first moto, but I don't have confidence in Roxanne to carry that over into the second moto yet. He just hasn't shown that he has that kind of, um, you know, sustainability. I think that's, you know, maybe he goes one or two, you know, to podiums in the first one and then finishes fifth or sixth in, in the second one, because then you've got guys like Anderson and, yeah. you know, Webb and Muskin and all that. So I, I don't, I don't put Roxanne up there yet. And Anderson is getting there. I just don't think he's there yet. He's not
1: there yet. He's still going to work on his, uh, his cardio, um, Roxon, on the other hand, for the for the past uh, at least couple of weeks, I think he has he's found the sustainability. He just hasn't found that next gear that he really needs to compete with with uh, Tomac. I think he's going to go two two and just take a solid number two.
0: <laughs> Roxon taking a solid number two. That's solid, uh, something that we are used to seeing. Taking lately. a solid number taking two. Taking a solid number two. So there's our predictions for next this week. This podcast I, brought to you
1: by Xlax. <laughs>
0: So, no, seriously, I'll take that sponsorship. <laughs> You're like, this rider went 2-2 two, two, and took a number two. You can too. <laughs> Let's make that
1: happen.
0: <laughs> I think at that point, we're just going to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, so we got our predictions for next week, Unidella. I cannot wait for Unidella next week. Um, we will definitely be, definitely be watching that one. Um, maybe even a couple of times I'll go back and watch the replays because it's just such a fun race. Um, hopefully we get some exciting races and not just one ones from Eli in the four fifties, you know, maybe make, mix it up a little bit. Although I will be happy to see Ferranis go one, one in the two fifties. I Me think too. that's, that's kind of that, what I'm rooting for there. It's going to make things interesting. Yeah. I really want to see some, some, some solid racing going down to the wire here. So next week we'll talk about Unadilla. We'll talk about coming up on the end of the season where we are on the point standings, and uh, and I think that's going to do it for today, bud. Thank you guys for listening. Thank to everyone who joined us on the Instagram live. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast uh, later, if you want to ever join us while we're listening live, just go to the uh, at the power at power to the ground. Yep. On Instagram, you know we record this podcast, but we do it live on Instagram. So, uh, you know, if you want to come and join us, come do that. Uh, as you heard in the plugs at the beginning, so. Uh, Jesse, anything else before we wrap it up?
1: That's it. Follow us on Instagram. Go check out our website. We've got some new merch up there. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.
0: Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.